Well, good evening. I am emotionally wrecked. <laughs> uh, first day back at work for me. I've had a week off. Um, had a great week, and uh, it's great to be back. It's great to see you all. Uh, I have uh, so I gave a sermon this morning, uh, and I have a sermon to give this evening. But uh, my beautiful sister is here, and I would love to. Uh, so for you guys to hear some of her story and for her to be able to share some of that. Uh, about 30 seconds ago, I said, would you mind sharing a bit about uh, your walk with Jesus? And she went, when? I was like, in about 30 seconds. And um, is that right? Yeah. Come on then. This is Kirsty. Um, she's my sister-in-law, uh, Rose, younger sister. We're about the same age, aren't we? I'm coming up for 45. Yeah, I'm a bit younger than you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is Kirsty, everyone. And uh, that was Darcy, a little girl that was um, just going home with Ro. Uh, and Ro told me at the end, like when, we've, like when I've done my sermon, which probably isn't going to happen now, uh, and when we've worshipped a bit longer, you are to go home. I know, because they want right? to go home. Yeah, because they're going to want to go home. Because your boy brought you here, didn't he? Yeah. As well, which is great. Which is amazing. It is amazing. Uh, right, so, actually we've known each other since I was 16. Yeah. So you would have been, I don't know, 14, 15? Yeah. Uh, if you saw, if you're on Facebook, if you're a friend of my wife Rose on Facebook, you'll have seen, or Kirsty's posted uh, something about their dad, um, who was the Director General of the British Red Cross, and you know, um, Diana went and did this landmine campaign, well he was the man behind it who took her there, um, and uh, her, the, so he was you know, pretty big in the charity sector, and uh, m- their mum was uh, uh, an HMI, an inspector of schools. And my fondest memory of seeing them as a 16-year-old lad was turning up at their house and my car broke down, my Ford Escort Mark II broke down. And here were this fairly illustrious couple. What? Oh, at 17. Calm down. Have I told you about my criminal past? 16 is very possible, but if there are any police in tonight, it was 17. God dear. You're hot, aren't you? Right? So I look in the back mirror, and here are this incredibly illustrious couple push-starting my car down the road. It was so much fun. Um, so it was, uh, it was good, uh, in a very bad kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back then, um, I used to like to party. So Ronnie will remember, it starts out, you know, where you just going clubbing and, you know, start smoking a bit of weed. Then that turns to a bit of coke and, you know, just that party lifestyle. And everyone was doing it, so it was no different to anybody else. But as I managed to hold down a good job and have my own house and a nice car and everything, no one really worried about me for, for years. So it was able to go on and on and on and on. And I won't bore you with all of that, but it got worse and worse and worse until I was taking, shooting up heroin... Um, and in a really bad way ended up losing everything um, including my kids um, one who which has brought me here tonight which is amazing but he went and lived with my parents um, and then I was sitting at the side of the road begging in London for money my parents had turned my, their back on me at this point uh, not turned their back but just you know tough love 
Um, and I was sitting at the side of the road and God sent an angel to me. I literally had all my stuff in a bag asking for money and she walked past and she came back and she just gave me a phone number and said there's somewhere to stay. And I thought, no, it can't be, you know. But it took me about three days to, to, to phone up. And uh, I phoned up and it was, she was a nun that had taken a vow to work in the community and it really was a room in Holland Park for free so I rang up they said come along and there's this beautiful room in this beautiful house and it had a chapel and before that had happened about two weeks before someone had walked by while I was sitting there asking for money and dropped me a bible and I'd been reading it and I'd read a few of the stories in the New Testament I was like wow so when she came and kind of rescued me um, she talked about God and and all of this and I gave my life to Jesus and for me it wasn't an immediate kind of you know transformation of my life it took a while I think it's I don't know where it says it I think it's somewhere I'm not very good at my bible scriptures but it says after suffering a little while I will strengthen transform and make you steadfast or whatever so for these few years I had to I was battling with in and out of Believing, not believing, falling away, falling away. But it was when I just completely fixed my eyes on him and met these people that he completely saved me. So I had another child who's Darcy, and he blessed me with her. So I've had her for 10 years now. My son is back in contact. I have a good relationship with my parents. And life is amazing. I'm now teaching, you know, who would have thought it took eight months to get me CRB checked but I got <laughs> I got passed in the end and I just never thought any of it was possible you know going from begging at the side of the street being a heroin addict to teaching and having my amazing family and just being so my entire life is Jesus now I wake up to Jesus I go to bed with Jesus you know that's that's my life but yeah thank you Thanks, Kirst. We um, at the vision for our church is to see lives being radically transformed by Jesus' love and power. And man, it has so happened with you. It's quite funny because uh, Rose's parents became Christians. Uh, well, they started going to church before <laughs> before we did, uh, and they were obviously praying for us. And uh, we were sat with the, at their 70th birthday party yesterday thinking, I bet they wish they'd never been praying for us to become Christians. Because, <clears throat> well, we love Jesus, right? Absolutely. Um, I didn't really like Christians when I was younger. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really hate you. Um, I wouldn't go that far. But I certainly didn't like you. Um, or, or um, at least I didn't like the thought of you. And I thought you had like a... It wasn't just the socks and the sandals, although that sort of thing freaked me out, but it was, it was the kind of holier-than-thou attitude that, that people who aren't Christians think that Christians have got. Um, so I didn't really want anything to do with Christians. I have 
changed my opinion, you'll be glad to hear, particularly if you're uh, just visiting the church or if you're new to the church. Uh, I'm Ron, I'm the vicar. <laughs> I live a different life now. Right, uh, the reason why I say that is because you know, we're dealing with some, some difficult aspects in the book of James in this letter uh, that James wrote, uh, all about aspects of the Christian life, and it's quite heavy stuff. Um, but it's all about kind of, they're all aspects that are crucial to your growth and development. Is the stuff that he tackles in here. It is crucial to your growth and your development. If you haven't yet read it, it is, I want to say five chapters. Yeah, that's good. I know my Bible. It's five chapters, right? It will take you 15 or 20 minutes. Have a read of it. It's crucial stuff. I just want to read you from the, the message version um, tonight. Um, perhaps maybe if you've got your Bible, your apps, you can have a look anyway. But This is James 2. It says, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come, come across an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together like hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are works of faith, the full meaning of believe in the scriptures sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but a faith fruitful in works? The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape, that seamless unity of believing and doing, what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. Although what Jesus has done on the cross cannot be fully understood in just one idea, I want you to grasp something that is so important tonight. It is so important, which is just kind of a backhanded way of just saying, just listen up for a few minutes what I've got to say. But um, I learned some fancy words at college. Um, if you were here this morning, you will have heard me uh, expose myself as having been a Christian for 12 years, and in that time having learned two things. There was some ridicule and mocking that went on. Um, but I did also learn some words at college, uh, like justification, uh, sanctification, uh, vocation. And if you want to know what any of those words mean, Claire <laughs> is right here to explain them for you. But what is really important is that before we kind of get to grips with the passage, is you know about justification by faith. That's really important that you grasp hold of that. 
before you do anything, really, it's so important to know that. And um, so there are some big words for you. Justification by faith. And let's just tackle that for a moment. So it's God's gracious forgiveness of sins that is received by faith alone and not by anything that you could do. Nothing that you can earn. It is manifested and accomplished in Jesus. It's put simply God's free, unconditional, unmerited acceptance of us in spite of what we do. Such an important doctrine for you to, to, to grasp before you get into the, okay, actually, I now need to do something about that so important and you'll hear us me and Claire and other people that stand up here say that time and time and again because for some reason we fall back to thinking that we have we have to earn it we have to work really hard to get God's acceptance and it isn't true it can't be true because no one can work that hard no one can possibly work hard enough to earn God's acceptance um do we have any uh, members of the Islam uh, Muslim faith in tonight? No. So their ideal is that they have to work and earn their way into a relationship with God. It's one of the things that they do all their life in order to achieve acceptance with God, is work really hard and do these things in order to get God's acceptance. And it's the big difference, obviously, for us is the word grace. And if you don't know what grace means, Stuart will explain it to you. <laughs> so justification. It means being acquitted. So it's got a kind of a legal term to it as well. So it means being acquitted of what you've done. It means that your broken relationship with God has been restored by this act of free grace, unmerited forgiveness. So sometimes you'll hear it, you're justified by faith. But it can be misleading as if our faith gets us a reward from God. And it's better to say that you are justified by grace through faith. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. Please don't, don't ever leave a church thinking there is something that you have to do in order to earn God's forgiveness. There is nothing you could possibly do to earn God's forgiveness. You know, you've heard the term, there's no such thing as a free meal, haven't you? Yeah? But in Christianity, boy, there is a great big banquet, a heavenly banquet set out for you to sit and eat at his table, which is a total free meal for you to come and sit and eat with him. Uh, there are many ways that we try and justify ourselves where we make our, our lives meaningful to other people um, and, and to ourselves and perhaps we think to God. But it isn't the work, it's not the plain hard work, it's not the good work, it's not anything that we do that will be good enough to get us right with God. That should set you free. That should set you totally free. Our is there anyone in the room who is who, who's desperate for approval from other people? I am. I'd love for you to say on the way out, great sermon, Ron. 
I'd love you to say right now. Great selling, Ron. <laughs> it's, like, it's only my flesh and blood that we're saying that. Is that all I can count on? I thought you were my flesh and blood. But maybe, maybe because you're fearful and you're anxious about being rejected and not being accepted. You're fearful of being rejected because of the way that you look or, or the way that you sound or the, the car that you drive or that you don't drive or the clothes that you wear or the money that you have or the money you don't have or your education or your lack of it or the quality of the mobile you own or whether you use a Mac or a PC. Yeah. <laughs> whether you're a West Ham supporter. Yeah. Or Brentford. All right. I heard you at the back there. I know, I'm not free from that. I'm not free from that. But when I see it, I call it out and I work on it. Because I know that isn't God's voice in my ear. I know that's the voice of someone else. We can be terrified by the prospect of failing to win the recognition and the love that we crave. We're driven with a desire to feel accepted and valued and loved by your friends and your family, by your boss. But you are accepted. If, if you take anything away from tonight, know that you are accepted just as you are. And because you're accepted, that makes you a somebody. You are not a nobody. You are a somebody because you matter to God. You're not worthy because your employer says so. <laughs> or because your teacher says so. Or because your mum says so. You're worthy because God, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, he says so. And if you don't accept that, it's kind of like giving God a bit of a slap in the face. Because we are children of God, people for whom Jesus suffered and died and was raised again, people in whom the spirit of God lives and breathes, because of this, you and I are somebody's. It's a great truth, my friends. The truth will set you free. So with that in mind, let's have a look at faith and works. What good is it a person can claim to know Jesus Christ but has no actions to back up his faith? Can it save them? He's really asking about what it means if somebody brags about his faith in the Lord, but then when it comes time to serve, he runs the other way and says, I cannot help because I am just too busy with life. And that goes back a little bit to what I first said about the holier than now, the kind of hypocritical attitude that I thought Christians had. Uh, Hippocrates were actors back in the day, uh, and they would literally put on another mask in order to act out certain parts. Um, so they were literally two-faced. So that's where we get the word hypocrite from. Was when you say one thing and you do another. So he's asking, is that faith real? Is it genuine? Is it authentic? Now, I'm sure you've heard the term, phrase, the, the talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, we've all heard that, haven't we, before? James is telling us that our faith, our salvation, the thing that we are justified by God, this free gift, should drive us to desire to act like followers of the one. So Jesus is the model on which we can act and follow. We should be desiring to help others. We should be desiring to serve God. I think one of the biggest problems that we have is this misperception, conception, perception of time in our society. 
Think of some adjectives that you do with time. Shout them out for me. What do you do with time? You have to shout loud because I'm slightly deaf. Take time. Waste. Yep. Waste time. Spend time. Give time. Kill time. Anything else? You enjoy it. That's good. Is that you, Finn? All right, okay. I knew the voice came from over in that direction. That's good. You two are getting on well. That's nice. Procrastinate, yeah. Time is a taker in the end. Once passed, you can never regain it. It never returns. And how you spend your time will depend upon the amount of satisfaction you get from your life. And we all think we don't have enough time. And a lot of people don't even see the validity of serving God with their time. So, if you did the course with us here about, um, on your front line, you will have discovered in the last couple of weeks that, ah, test time, uh, how many hours are we awake for? How many, uh, I'm not asking you 20-somethings because I know how long you sleep for. <laughs> How many hours are you actually awake for during a week? During a week, yeah, I should have qualified it, shouldn't I? All right, it's about 136. It's about 136 hours. Now, now just think, how much of that time are you spending with God, serving God, loving others? How much of that time are you able to spend doing that? 136 hours awake. A week, how many hours are you spending with God? People use time for themselves. They use their, their gifts for themselves. They use their resources for themselves, but they don't use the things that God has blessed them with to serve the kingdom of God and one another. You guys are different, right? You know, I'm, I'm preaching from a passage, but I know you guys are very generous with your time and um, you have really blessed me in the time that I've been here as your vicar. So thank you for that. But some people live with that idea that tomorrow is when I'll do it. Tomorrow I will serve. Tomorrow I will help out. But the problem is, of course, yeah, another one of those sayings. Tomorrow never comes. And James reminds us that faith that does not change the heart of an individual means nothing. It is meaningless. A transformed heart wants to serve the kingdom of God. Yeah? And Kirsty will, will testify to her transformed heart and how she is serving God through what she does now. The truth is a genuine faith will affect your life. It will change your life. It has to. It will compel you to do something with your faith for God and for other people. It's a bit like, I don't know, when we were hanging out together, I was working in retail. I thought I'd always, I'd just make it to be an operations director or something like that in a big retail firm. I don't know what we did with that money. Yeah. Where did it get us? Nowhere. nowhere. It got us nowhere. But because I see the benefit and the, my response to God's gift in my life of him choosing me and accepting me for who I am, my response to that is to turn my back on that stuff that I was brought up believing was what I should do with my life. And it leads me to standing here in front of you 
said it before, never, never in my career plan was I expecting to do this. I think we're going to call it quits there. Yeah. Because we're going to worship a bit longer. Claire's going to lead us and we'll see where the spirit takes us.